Good morning, church. So sorry you have to hear my voice for all of worship and for a preach here as well. Uh, but I, I'm so excited to uh, bring you what we feel as a leadership the Lord has placed on our hearts here today on Vision Sunday. But before we dive into what we believe is the vision, at least God's vision for us this year, I want to talk a little bit about this kind of idea of vision and casting vision. Uh, Some of you may have had to do that. You own a company or you're a leader. You lead some teams or you're an executive head at a high school because every year leaders have to stand on stages like this in front of their people and they cast vision. All right, and I think there's so much to be said about the word vision because it's all about seeing, right? And so a leader is going to stand on a stage and they are going to do everything in their power to take what they're seeing to help everybody else see the same thing, see the same future, and so work towards a common future together. And so often what that looks like in a more corporate space as leaders try and make these ideas concrete is maybe they're going to cast vision with regards to certain financial goals they want to hit. And if we hit these goals, this is what it's going to look like for our business and your bonuses, right? Sometimes it's going to be expansion, Guys, we want to open five more restaurants or we want to reach this many more students or plant a church this year. And that gets people excited. Or maybe for some vision casters, it's less about the bottom line, but more about if we do this, look at the difference we are going to make. And so that is all designed to help people see what this future could look like get excited about that, and move in the same direction. And I do believe that there is a place for churches to speak about vision in that kind of sense, where they might say, here's what's happening at the moment, and so we want to set the following financial targets, and church, if we hit these financial targets, that's what this means for us. Or maybe put it into some other numerical terms. This is how many life groups we want to start. Or this is how many people we want to reach. But as pastors and leaders have been coming in year on year to speak about vision, something changed that drastically. The dreaded COVID came and changed that. The irony about vision casting in 2020 was that so many leaders jumped on the 2020 train and spoke about Vision 2020 or or 2020 Vision. The problem was nobody saw it coming. Now, I don't know too much about the corporate space, and I suspect there's been a bit of a shake-up there, but I know many churches, as they think about casting vision, they've started to realize with this rude awakening maybe being so audacious to cast these kinds of figures or to speak about our 10-year plan or our five-year plan. Maybe we realize we're not in control of these things. We're not sovereign, and so maybe we need to start asking some different questions. And so as a leadership, we started to sense some of these questions on our hearts. 
heading into the end of last year, the beginning of this year, stimulating lots of conversation, lots of prayer, lots of debate. A number of weekends ago, the, the leadership and our wives, we were able to get away. Cesare preached up a storm here, by the way, and uh, church was in safe hands, but we were just seeking the Lord's face. Because the bigger question for us became less about what targets are we going to set? And more about what is the Lord wanting for us? To use the word vision, what does the Lord see for us this year? And can He be so kind to help us see the kinds of things He wants us to see? And the more we see that, can we, yes, then set goals? Yes, reorganize certain things, set some targets, maybe strategize, but it's all in the name of here is where the Lord is inviting us. And so that is the heart with which we are entering this conversation. And I would argue that this is the kind of visioneering we see in Scripture. Moses, uh, sorry, Noah didn't stand up one day saying, guys, I see a time, I see a time where, where we're going to save our people. No, God gave him a vision of what was coming, of what God saw. And then Noah was able to see that and believe that and then respond in faith. God saw a nation and he helped Abraham see a nation. And the action followed. God helped David see what God had in his heart for the king and this future coming king. And so that is always how it worked. So we want to stand up here today and say, as best as possible, we want to communicate where we believe the Lord is inviting us forward as a church. But before we do that, I'm going to start off with some of the bad news. You see, vision doesn't just happen in a vacuum. We can't just stand up here and read some of the best church growth strategies and church growth books and, and some of the best practices and say, hey, church, here's our goal for 2023. You see, we are in a context and God's got a heart for our context. And so our vision has to make sense for our context. And so what is our context? Well, if we look at the world around us, specifically the role that Christianity plays in the world around us, I just hope you're starting to realize things have changed dramatically. 30, 40 years ago, you could safely assume that the average person out there at one level probably saw themselves as a Christian. Maybe they weren't always faithful and maybe we can debate those things, but in their mind, Christianity was kind of where we were at. And so Christianity had a positive weight in the minds of culture. That is no longer the case. Let's go back five years ago. Five years ago, it was no longer the case that Christianity hold this prominent central position, 
But five years ago, you would have most likely come across people who were like, okay, I don't always understand what you Christians believe, but you know what? You do you, I do me, and can we just respect each other in that space? Now that has changed. And in certain circles, what is increasingly becoming our reality is that people not only cannot understand why we Christians believe certain things that seem so absurd to them, increasingly Christians are seen as immoral for believing what we believe. Guilty until proven innocent. And so the question for us as we think about vision is, God, how do we do church? How do we exist? How do we do faith in a world where we are seen as the bad guys? Not the first time it's happened, by the way, but it is our reality. And then, of course, we look at some of the world around us, and we talk about some of the disruptions we've experienced. And how for so many people that has affected their security, their identity, rising food and fuel and accommodation prices are skyrocketing and people are struggling. Add to that, mental health challenges are almost double what they were about 10 years ago. And so again, Lord, when it comes to vision, when it comes to being your church, how do we do this? With the little church outside and the, the need within and the need outside being so great. How do we do this, God? And then when we look at the world within, kind of the church world, and we look at all the scandals, all the ways the churches have made headlines for the wrong reasons, all the abuses we've seen, sexual abuse, power abuse, and as our culture is getting increasingly cynical with regards to any structure that has any sort of hierarchy, any organization. And so once again, we are guilty until proven innocence. Lord, how do we do church when that is how the world sees what we do here and we want to reach them? Some of you are saying, hey, Stephen, hang on, hang on here. I thought this is Vision Sunday. I thought you're supposed to pump us up. I thought you're supposed to get us to walk away here with a sense of we can do it. But here's the truth. We cannot do it. Our best preaching our best strategies on their own cannot meet the needs of a fallen, broken world around us and even within us. You know, as we were thinking about these kinds of things, we started asking, well, in light of all of this, what kind of church do we want to be? And in many ways, we can see so much fruit already. But here are just a bit of a snapshot of some of the ideas that gave us just great inspiration. And the one is that community 
is so life-giving. It's, it's the most natural thing in the world to invite others into that space. And community, whether it be social or life group or Sundays, it's not like pulling teeth. We just so badly want to be together. And what about prayer? Just where prayer is just a, such a natural part of our community space. Where there's a growing love for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus. Where our community space is a space, despite some of the assumptions out there. The community is a space of healing and restoration. And it's a space where people so encounter not a great church, but a great God. They so encounter the reality of Christ among us that they cannot help but care deeply for those who don't know Jesus. Where we are fueled and impassioned by a God-sized sense of passion and mission. Where people from all backgrounds can come together and find ultimate unity, not in anything else but Christ. Where those who visit and join our church, regardless of the fears that they bring in with them on that day, that somehow it feels like coming home. We're talking about our relationship with God and our faith is as normal as breathing. Where we are willing to inconvenience ourselves. Where we are willing to sacrifice time and talents and treasures. Why? Because we are so internally motivated by the kingdom of God. And we could go on and on and on, but I'm hoping you're seeing the kinds of things that we're getting us so impassioned about the kind of community that we can be but here's the shift that happened in us. We started asking the question, why? If someone were to live out the kinds of values that I had on the board there earlier, why would anyone live out those values? Why would anyone, you know, go out on a Friday night to pray of all things? Why would anyone risk inviting their neighbor to church or sharing their faith with someone? Why would anyone come here on a Sunday or to a life group with the primary motive not to receive, but to give, to serve? Why would anyone say, there's more room around my table, there's more space in my lounge? Why would anyone, whether it's here on a Sunday or out there, spend more time with someone who is needing to feel accepted and acknowledged and received rather than hanging out with their mates? Why would anyone become radically generous? Why would anyone do everything in their power to equip themselves to fulfill the calling that God has on their lives? And how we answer that question is so important. Because if the answer to that question, the question of why, if the answer to that question is, well, isn't, that the right thing to do? Isn't that what Christians do? Don't we like pray and get together and sing and give and serve and, and try and share our faith? I mean, so shouldn't that be enough reason for us? And here's what's whether we're looking at our own hearts or just the pulse of Christianity in general, or maybe even where we as a church are at. 
if you haven't figured it out yet, doing any of these things for the reason that it's the right thing to do, you will guaranteed run out of fuel. That will never sustain passion. That will never lead us to live the kinds of impassioned lives that we could potentially be living. So then what should the reason be? Well, we could look at any story in Scripture, but I'm just going to highlight two of them. John chapter 4, a woman with a promiscuous history in a very conservative culture. And because everyone knew who she was and what she's been up to, they kind of treated her as an outcast. That woman, just a short while later, runs into town and is so convincing that her whole town comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So what happened? (laughs) Did she do that because it was vision... 26 BC, AD, because her pastor said she must, because it was the right thing to do. No. John 4, 42, this is the town speaking. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Let me take you to another story. Luke chapter 19. A man called Zacchaeus, he had short man syndrome. And he was out there to kind of make up for his lack of height with huge wealth. And he was a mean, greedy man who became wealthy by cheating his countrymen out of their taxes and extorting them. Not a short while later, he's standing there saying, I'm going to take half of what I own and give it away. And anyone that I've wronged, I'm going to pay you back with interest. So what happened, again, was that a vision statement? Was that the verse of the day? Luke 19, verses 9 to 10, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that was lost. And that's just two stories. We could look at any story and see that the reason why people's lives were so radically transformed is because in every single case, there was an unmistakable genuine, transforming encounter with the living Jesus Christ. And every single one of those words is intentionally chosen. We could look at history. Why would someone like William Carey go and just give up whatever lifestyle he had to serve the people of India with the gospel? Why would Hudson Taylor do the same, setting himself a one-way ticket to China to serve the Chinese with the gospel? What would cause someone like William Tyndale to be willing to be executed simply for translating the Bible into English? Once again, doing the right things doesn't cut it. When it comes to that kind of kingdom move, 
And I would say it's the same answer, the genuine, unmistakable, powerful encounter with the living Jesus Christ through His people, through His Word, and through His Spirit. Now, some people might say, yeah, 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 but Stephen, you know, I, th- I think strategy is still important and we need to have strategy. You know, didn't William Carey have strategy? Didn't Hutton Taylor have strategy? And of course they had strategy. But my question is this, which came first? The genuine, living, transforming encounter with Jesus Christ or the strategy? And we know the answer to that question. When you want to talk about strategy, I know kind of when anything happens these days, you've got your haters, you've got your promoters, you've got your late adopters. But in the States, the last couple of weeks, there's been this little revival in a theological college. You want to talk about strategy. You know, some churches, they're like, oh, we're going to have a revival and we're going to invite international speakers and we're going to have professional musicians. These guys, students, you're still figuring it out. People coming in and trying to get all hyped up and like a dude on acoustic guitar. A two-week long worship service. Worshiping Jesus. And as people kind of came there to feel it for themselves, just saying, I don't know how to explain this, but God is here. You want to talk about strategy. People got up in these places to publicly confess their sin. You will never find that in a church growth book. What's it cause someone to worship the Lord for two weeks straight? To stand up and publicly confess their sin? It's not strategy. It's not someone making them feel bad as the right thing to do. It's it's the reality of encountering the powerful presence of God. If we look at Uh, The Wesleys, there's a book that is written, England, before and after the Wesleys, where because of their faithful preaching and someone like George Whitfield joining them, England was literally changed because of a revival. And out of that started what became known as Methodism. But this wasn't them going, hey guys, we've got a great strategy for England and we're going to do this and that and this and that and this is how we're going to reach people. No, God's fire came down. God worked in the lives of so many people. What are we going to do with them? Okay, let's move into homes and have some leaders here. The strategy came out of the encounter with God. And so church, what we are so burdened with right now in this season that we're in, knowing our context, that what the Lord is inviting us into this year is not a new strategy, and a new goal for us as a church, but rather to, for us, both corporately and individually, have an unmistakable, transforming Encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Where God himself ignites something in our lives. Where God himself, there's three words on the screen here behind me. Well, there will be. Ignites something in our hearts with regards to his presence. Where we know because God has touched me, I know God is with me. I know He's with me. 
with regards to His love. Man, I've just been so overwhelmed with the sense of His love for me. I cannot deny it anymore. And I have to share this, which leads us to God igniting something in our hearts with regards to the mission and the purpose that He has for our lives. You see, here's the difference. For example, if we speak about evangelism, we could have the perfect evangelistic training beamed down from heaven. And we could stand up here on the stage and we can say, guys, this coming Thursday night, we're going to do some evangelism training. Now, Yaku, some of us are already in. We're already there. We want the training. If we're honest with ourselves, the rest of us, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a full week. Um, it just feels like one more thing to do. I don't know if I like evangelism. Pass. But if you think about Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the people that Jesus encountered and healed, because of the fact that they had this unmistakable encounter with the living Jesus Christ, they didn't even need evangelism training. They just went out and did it and fell forward and figured it out. It's the difference between external and internal motivation. But here's the big problem with this vision of God igniting something in our hearts. We can no more cause God to do this than we can somehow make a hurricane to appear in our skies just now. So then what's the vision? What, what, what can we do? Well, here's what we can do. And I'm going to go through these so quickly. We can come and ask. We can come thirsty. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Number two, we can come desperate. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We can come dependent, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. We can come expectantly, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks find, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We can come trustingly. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We can come persistently. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And after he tells the story, God says this, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And finally, we can come in repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Church, don't mishear me on this. Don't conclude from what I'm saying that God hasn't been among us. 
We've just heard about some amazing ways that God's presence has been so real in so many people's lives. Guys, we can look at the uh, 12, 13 years and say, God is good. He has been for us. He has been with us. Don't mishear me. All I am saying is, if we are to go from here to somehow walking into the full redemptive potential for us as a church, we're not going to get there from strategy. But rather God has to sovereignly touch us and sovereignly do what you and I cannot do with our best preaching. Listen, church, the Holy Spirit can do in one second more than a year's worth of the best preaching. The best evangelizing. The best ministries. And so as we make this real, ah, Stephen, that's cool. I like the idea. Well, let's make it real. When we come here on a Sunday, are we here to have nice church? Or where we gather together with the supreme desire to encounter and seek the face of the living Jesus Christ? Are we wanting to squeeze a little bit of Jesus into my life or am I willing to let him disrupt my life? Am I willing to move from Jesus is important-ish to me to Jesus reorders everything because he is so supremely important to me? Are we prepared to move from, I come to church or life group just for a little dose of, you know, it's like a little Christian pick-me-up. Or am I willing to seek God's face first on Sundays, but also on Mondays and the rest of the week? And I could go on, but do you see the difference? I'm also just so patently aware that even this message could fall so flat on our distracted hearts unless the Lord himself is igniting something in our own hearts. And so I just want us to wrap up our time together by looking at these words that we spoke about. Come thirsty, come desperate, come dependent, come expectantly, come trustingly, come persistently, come in repentance. This is not like a formula. We do these things and we see revival. It's a posture. Where we lay ourselves down, recognizing our inadequacies. But so dependence on who God is and what it would mean for my marriage, what it would mean for my kids, my family, my neighbors, my business, my own mental and spiritual health, my hope or my hopelessness for our community, for our church, What would it mean if God truly touched us? And so, Lord, for that reason, 
I am willing to come empty-handed and thirsty and desperate and dependent and expectantly and trustingly and persistently and in repentance, which once again brings us to that point that we highlighted in worship. Can we say, oh God, ah, I trust you. I trust you. Folks, if you don't know us well yet, we're not the kind of people who want to at any level manufacture God and create kind of like a hype that convinces you somehow that that was God and not God himself. Rather, we want to come just that if it is God, once again, that unmistakable, transformative encounter with the living Jesus. And who knows what God will do in our lives. And so it's, if you are willing to adopt that posture at any level, I'm going to ask that you stand and we're going to commit ourselves to the Lord for this coming year as we trust Him for this. Oh God, we're thirsty. We've discovered firsthand how the things of this world and even good things don't truly satisfy. God, we're desperate. Our brokenness, our sin, our pain, the challenges of this world, and even us at our best somehow don't manage to bring about the kinds of things that we hope to see in our lives. God, we're so dependent on, on you. Forgive us for, for one second believing that anyone or anything else could do this among us. God, and despite maybe hopelessness, we do want to come expectantly. Help us come expectantly. And God, help us even say those words and, and mean them and help us grow into the ability to say, I trust you. God, we as a church, we commit to being persistent in this. This is not about a, a hoo-ha, a feel-good service, and we're done. God, we want to, week on week, walk towards you. Trusting you and persisting in you. God, we know that our own stuff and our own brokenness and our own sin can so often rob us of the things you're wanting to do in our lives. And I know we hold on to those things. And so God, as scary as it sounds, you're inviting us to also repent. Repent from, but also repent to, repent to you. And God, as this is our posture, I ask risen, living, Jesus Christ, the source of life, the bread of life, our living water, would you do what only you can do in us and among us and then through us?
God, we cannot play at church anymore. There are way better things to do on a Sunday if you're not in it. But Lord, can we envision you moving in such a way that not only are we transformed, but the people around us are transformed. Help us. Help us, God. We trust you. Amen. Amen, church.